0: Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You too can be part of Armchair Politics.
1: Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now.
3: Hey, welcome everybody to uh, today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner program. And uh, let's see, Welcome, um, joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, we have our roundtable regulars uh, on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Good morning, Paul. morning, good to be here. And on the right, longtime <coughs> Genesee County Republican, Henry Hatter. Good morning, Henry. Welcome. Good, mo- good morning, uh, Tom. Uh, a friend of yours, Tim Freeman, <clears throat>
1: has sent you some, some very beautiful thank yous and compliments for being the best successful host on the round table.
3: Oh, that is so nice. And he is such a uh, fine gentleman and a, uh, an extraordinary drummer. Good singer, too, actually. <laughs> thank you. Um. And and joining our roundtable this week, political operative Bobby Clayton Walton. Good morning, Bobby. Welcome. Good morning. morning. I I also like
2: drumming. I I like drumming too, guys. But I'm just I'm just an audience.
1: (laughs) That's what you always say.
3: (laughs) 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 Well, I um, I almost. i I had a little difficulty uh getting started this morning i was trying to get through to henry and uh something something wasn't working but he he called back just in the nick of time and uh and and i'm glad he did so we can all be connected thank you henry thank you
5: always good to have you here henry
3: thank you um well as you know we always start out with a few quotes and um the first one is always, say, finish the quote, where I ask you, how would you finish this quote? And it goes like this, when you reach the end of your rope, then what? How would you finish this quote?
5: Find a rope. Put the rope around <laughs> your
3: neck. Hang on. <laughs> hang on. Uh, actually, that's pretty close, Bobby. Yes. The original quote is, when you reach the end of your rope, tie a knot in it and hang on.
5: Oh, that's good. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and you you know where that came from? Um, uh, Winston mm-hmm. Churchill. No, but you're awfully close. It was his buddy Franklin Roosevelt. Oh, they were both sages then. It, it, it right actually era. it actually sounds like something FDR might have stolen from Winston. It could have, yeah. <laughs> it could be, yeah, yeah. Anyway, here is uh, something that, that got my attention. Well, it's getting everybody's attention. The United States and NATO are not a threat to Russia. Ukraine is not a threat to Russia. Neither the U.S. nor NATO have missiles in Ukraine. We do not, do not have plans to put them there as well. We're not targeting the people of Russia. We do not seek to destabilize Russia. To the citizens of Russia, you are not our enemy. Mm, That was Joe Biden. Yeah. Yeah, it was Joe Biden. Uh, That would have. Oh yeah. Okay. Go ahead, Henry.
1: No, that I was just going to respond to that, but somebody can respond to.
3: Well, that was, uh, of course, President Joe Biden yesterday uh, making an appeal for. diplomacy diplomacy to continue as the world watches to see if Russian President Vladimir Putin orders an invasion of neighboring Ukraine, but also warned that a Russian attack on Ukraine will be met with overwhelming international condemnation. Um, What do you think President Putin is angling for, and will he accomplish his objective?
2: I think he will. I think he's angling for uh, weakening the opportunity for the Ukraine to become part of NATO um, because he doesn't want any NATO
5: country that close to him. Yeah, I think you're right, Bobby. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I think, I'd go well
1: with
5: huh? that. And I, th- I think certainly, at least in, in the in the long, maybe in the short run, and maybe even the medium run, that's probably going to be the case. I don't think NATO they're going to join NATO soon. Maybe a decade down the road, who knows? But I think that's his goal, and I, I think if he had the choice, he'd like to, you know, reconstitute the old, at least a good bit of the old Soviet Union. That's a bit of a stretch, obviously, but I think that would be something he'd like to achieve if he could possibly do it.
3: Well, I think there's something um, even even more strategic than that, Paul, um, that is specific to Ukraine, and that's um, access to uh, waterways. Well, that's right.
5: You know, that, right. That, <clears throat> that
3: coastal... Border of Ukraine, I, I think that he really wants that to be part of uh, to Russia's advantage to have. And, and I think,
5: over as, that. as as I guest from last week pointed out, in the Crimea, they've got the that submarine base there as well. That's uh, very important to the, to the to, to Russia.
1: Yeah, and uh, and I think also that uh, Putin wants to. Uh, stabilize the balance of uh, power in the world. You see, you have China rising, you have the United States floating high, and there's Russia, who claims to be dominant in the world. And this is a way for him to try to establish that by uh, through a balance of power, making a statement. Yeah.
2: Well, it's power, but also economics, don't you think? Yeah, yeah of I was course, right. oil. I
5: was- did anybody see the list of, of natural resources Ukraine has got that, that was, it was making around yesterday on Facebook and elsewhere? A su- surprising list of, of natural resources that I wasn't quite aware of that are all situated in the, in the Ukraine. Yeah.
1: Uh, but, and they um, have territory. these accomplished scientists as well.
2: Yeah, and agriculture. Right. Agriculture. Yeah, and, and of course if um Ukraine became part of NATO and NATO decided that they didn't like what Putin was doing about other things then the access to the waterways would certainly be in threat too
5: that's true yeah
3: yeah I was reading Yeah, you some know of I
2: remember that. years I remember years ago so when I was studying uh I had a course in Eastern European communism and one of the aspects of the balance of power that they talked about is that the United States has a much better logistics of moving troops than Russia? Russia doesn't really have; they can't go very far from their own borders. They're they're not; they don't have access to the rest of the they're world. that's right. They rarely have. Yeah. 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 So going through Ukraine is definitely a, a part of their their
5: strength. Now, of course, the the question is now from from Putin's point of view. How does he play the cards? I mean, is, is is he going to... If he gets a diplomatic settlement of some kind, is that going to look like a victory or a failure on his part? On the other hand, if he goes to a military gamble, uh, how is that going to play out for him internally within Russia? Uh, yeah. I, if it's a gamble yeah, on you his can't part,
1: walk so. away after making all of those threats and popping and hopping and uh, walk away uh, and allow the rest
3: of the world to, to see him as defeated. He well, no that, that depends on riot. the negotiation. If, if, he, if he negotiates in such a way that it appears he's giving a lot up to Ukraine but can get control over that coastal uh, border <clears throat> um, and, or you know, and look, possibly build a base there. Yeah, you know, um, th- then maybe yeah. he comes out with what he wants and looks accommodating doing it.
1: Well, yeah. guys, we can't underplay what the president, our own president, is doing. <coughs> he stood up to him, and he says, "Hey, uh, be cool, stabilize yourself. Don't come. Don't make those kind of advances. Or the rest of the world, and then we will come after you." to away to war with you. Yeah, yeah, I, I think, don't do it.
5: <laughs> it's worth noting the that there was several a, challenges we're going to see. We could see the very same thing with China in the years to come with Taiwan. A similar kind well, of a situation there.
1: I was glad to see uh, the the president of the United States stand up to him.
6: Yeah, yeah well, in fact
2: I think Biden successfully um, convinced me and maybe the rest of the world that we are not about to go to war with Russia over Ukraine, but we're certainly not going to sit back and allow this to happen either.
5: True. Yeah.
1: yeah. And and I think he tactfully said that. But that yeah. the others were implied. Right. If, and of uh, course Putin 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 can Putin, can Putin, can... the United States has to follow. Putin can convince his
2: own people of anything that they choose to believe. Um, and the question is: Does he really want to repress the rest of the world, or does he want to keep himself in power where he is? I think he was
1: defeated, personally.
2: Well, you I think you
3: think Putin will get what he is really after once all the dust settles on on negotiations and diplomacy?
5: Probably if he's clear on what he wants. I think he'll get something. It, it may not be the the,
3: yeah.
5: the whole cake, put, but he may get half a yeah. cake.
1: Yeah. yeah. He'll get something, but, but he will walk away defeated after bringing all of those troops and surrounding the Ukraine and, and <clears throat> threatening other countries and imposing serious degrees of uncertainty for the United States. Uh, I think he will in that case B B, uh, will be defeated from the original goal.
2: It depends on what you define as defeat,
1: I guess. Yeah.
5: And maybe one ironic spin-off of this is is some of this may actually end up strengthening NATO in a way that hadn't been strengthened before. I mean, for the past four or five years, NATO was kind of getting a bit shaky, obviously, because during the Trump years especially, and now this may end up strengthening NATO. Yeah, because
1: people were pulling together. Yeah. Now, to move all of those troops to the border all of a sudden and knowing
3: that the world sentiment was against them, that was pretty risky. Well, when I was the reading when I was reading this story originally, I was a little disappointed when I got to the part that said um that the president also warned that a Russian attack on Ukraine will quote be met with overwhelming international condemnation unquote. Yeah. <laughs> i i I was expecting force or might or yeah, something, yeah. and then all of a sudden, it's like you're going to get a really bad global scolding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
5: going to send yeah. you a real nasty email. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs>
1: yeah, that's what it the, the real power it has.
5: Well, if
2: you go back to the economic impact, though, that could have a bad influence on on the, the results for Russia. Economically, yeah. they could really be hurting.
1: Yeah, Europe can hurt because of the oil pipeline. You know, that's where they get the source of natural gas is from. Yeah. Russia.
2: Yeah, we do live in a global economy, but what what was the um, the culture that said uh, one of the worst curses? Well, may you live in interesting times, and um, I think we do live in interesting times. But I don't know if it's
5: a curse. Certainly not a blessing. That's right. Is an old the old Chinese curse, isn't that the, where that phrase comes from?
1: I think, think it I... was Chinese. Yeah.
5: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, but you know the danger of it is is. One atomic bomb is dropped or exploded. That's problematic for the rest of the world.
3: That's true. Well, we need to take a short break, and uh, then we'll come back with some things that are a little closer to home when Armchair Politics continues with Bobby Clayton Walton joining our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter.
0: Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show.
3: And welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Henry Hatter and Paul Rosicki, joined by political operative Bobby Clayton Walton. And uh, we were finishing up with some quotes, and here's one I, I said we were going to get a little closer to home in this segment um, but um, here's the quote. I ain't into seeing no marijuana dispensary right next to no children's museum.
5: Uh, it's Eric Mays?
3: You would think. I was a little surprised. Yeah, just, <laughs> it was Third Ward Councilman Quincy Murphy. Oh, Okay. And some city council members uh, don't like something they've uh, seen off uh, Longway Boulevard near the old Flint Farmers Market, the potential new home of the Flint Children's Museum. A planned Sozo marijuana dispensary is taking shape at a former bank branch right next door, too close for comfort for some Officials, The council has been discussing what is now proposed as a $36,000 sale of the market property to the Children's Museum contingent on the organization, raising $3 million in the next two years to relocate and rebuild on the property. Flint moved its farmer's market downtown in 2014 after operating it at 420 East Boulevard Drive off Longway Boulevard for 70 years. And uh, just this week, I think it was uh, last night or night before, the city council okayed that sale for the Children's Museum to move forward on the Flint Farmer's Market. Um, but any predictions? I don't know.
5: I, <clears throat> I've seen all kind of other suggestions about locations for the farmer's market. <clears throat> but the farm... Well, well, the- yeah. go, go ahead, go ahead. Think- The question that
2: comes to my mind is who is behind the raising of the money and the movement of the museum because what you have here is who has the power or the influence to make it happen. Um, Some things can be logical, but if they don't have the right people behind them, they don't happen.
5: That's a good question, Bobby. Now, in terms of their current location, do they own the building? I know Thomas had some connection with them in the past. Is that their building next to Kettering there, or is that something else? I don't know, I don't know what the situation is with their current location.
3: There, There is a, uh, a contingency, <clears throat> I believe, if the Children's Museum moves from that location, it uh, it becomes part of the Kettering campus. Oh, I see. I see. Hmm. Uh
2: Uh-huh, so So Kettering University has an interest
1: in this. Yeah, I don't think that the um, Children's Museum uh, really is, and I used to be president of it, I don't think that they had the money to invest in a building that that would be lending or granted space to them.
5: You know, one suggestion I've heard periodically is that maybe they ought to take a look at the old uh, Central High School or, or one of the some of the buildings on that on that campus there or something in, in or around the cultural center as well. <clears throat> I
1: impossible. agree with that. Yeah, no, I, I like that.
3: Well, I wonder I if they, they did. It uh, crashed.
5: It's probably some of those the Russian hacking I think is going on. I, yeah. I think that's, I think you
3: might be onto something there, yeah. Paul. Um, I'll I'll make a quick uh, prediction with regard to the um, to the children's museum and and without naming any names, I, I think Bobby is asking uh, some of the right questions. Who can who can uh, generate million, uh, worth of fundraising over the next two years and, and who has the kind of, uh, clout to, uh, push this thing through. I, I think what ultimately will happen is that the children's museum will buy that property, will move into that property and the marijuana dispensary will be given, um, an offer, uh, they can't refuse. <laughs> <laughs>
5: yeah. <laughs>
3: I think they're the yeah. ones that will end up at Central High School or, you know, some, That's possible, somewhere possible, else. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: It makes sense. Of course, anything that makes sense doesn't necessarily always apply to Flint. So.
5: Right.
1: But, uh, you know, I don't see... That the Mott uh, Foundation will not play a great interest in this, in this movement, in this situation. Right. I wonder if they remember the the millage that
2: was passed for the cultural. Oh yeah. Uh, I wonder if any of that money would be available for that purpose. I hmm.
3: I certainly think they could get some some grant money, but I I I'm not sure how that would work when it comes to capital campaign type dollars. Yeah. Uh, for operational things, for programming, for those kinds of things, yeah, I think they could get access to some of that money and probably do. Um, I, I don't know, you know, what their what their finances are like now, and I don't know how they've managed <laughs> through the pandemic and, and all of that. But um, I suspect uh, given some of the board members and some of the people that support the, the children's museum's successful operation. I suspect if they want to go to the farmer's market, they'll go to the farmer's market and, um, that the, uh, marijuana dispensary will find some new digs.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I don't see where the public finds uh, having a dispensary in the midst of of uh, where children are. I don't. I don't see that as something that they would support.
3: Well, a lot and of people encourage. are pushing back against that. But um, Eric Mays was on the news last night or early this morning. Um, Saying that, you know, he thinks that that the council's role in all of this is to approve both projects and let them work it out.
2: Yeah, it's sort of a well, capitalist
5: approach, isn't it? It is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, it's, it's hard to say what realistically what what effect the marijuana place would have. I mean, it's going to be close by, but there's so many around. I mean, you go up and down Dorado Highway, and there, like, there's every every 500 feet, there's another one. Um, but you don't right. want it in
1: the midst of, of activities where children are. With it. Yeah,
3: I understand that. I yeah, you don't want yeah. it in there. It's, it's, it's definitely it a perception problem.
2: Well, I just don't like the smell. <laughs> you drive through some parts of the community where there are dispensaries, and, boy, you can really catch a whiff. True,
5: true,
3: yeah. So. Yeah, it brings back a lot of memories for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, how do you
2: think i know what it sounds sort of like <laughs> right <laughs> I,
3: I, I was on the road as a musician for many years and that,
5: <laughs>
3: i was raised by a musician <laughs>
5: yeah grew up in the 60s what can you say <laughs>
3: yeah <laughs> Well, multiple Flint activist groups are suing Michigan's Department of Environment, Great Lakes, and Energy in the Mm -hmm. latest attempt to stop the construction of an asphalt plant near Flint. Flint Rising, the environmental transformation movement of Flint, Michigan United, Caution, and the St. Francis Prayer Center joined together in a lawsuit that alleges Eagle used inappropriate air quality data and failed to regulate the plant's material processing properly in the air uh, permit that they granted to Ajax Materials Corporation. Earth Justice and the Great Lakes Environmental Law Center filed the lawsuit on the group's behalf. The plant was deemed an example of environmental racism by these activist groups because of its proximity to a low-income Flint housing project. The planned plant is located just across Flint's border with Genesee Township, off of East Carpenter Road. Um, can these groups, can these suits, uh, stop this plant from going forward?
5: Hmm. Uh, probably not. Yeah. I, somewhere, somewhere, yeah. I read that the the batting average of, of blocking these things is pretty bad. I mean, it's, it's, the great majority of these things have gone through, apparently, mm-hmm. and and, these, and I don't know the nature of the exact legal or scientific objection they've got. But like I say, at least from what I've seen, the, the previous attempts to block projects like this have not had a great deal of success.
1: You know, no. and, I, and yeah. I think that that area, it, it has to be an attainment area on the air quality controls. That means the air must meet the state standards in that region before you can move into it. You can do you can do no harm to it because it's currently meeting the air standards quality. And people who are making the decision need to decide whether they want to uh, have jobs or do they want to uh, defeat this proposal. Well, but
2: there's a a middle road there, Henry. Um, I know, for instance, incinerators, because we had one in uh, Maryland, Were they were required to have smokestack scrubbers and monitoring by computerized systems and everything so that any of the air that came out of there, any of the effluvium that Mm -hmm. hit the, the air, had to be monitored and controlled? So it's possible that the environmental people could prevail in getting those kinds of controls required, which would be a partial victory, but it would certainly help protect the quality of the air.
1: Well, yeah. all, stacks, all stacks that you see around Flint should be meeting the standards for, uh, for, for air quality coming out of the stack, Yeah, for example. It should be.
2: Yeah. yeah, if the environmental uh, movement doesn't anything more than require more protection for the public, then that's, that's an achievement. Yes,
1: yeah. and I don't think we can put one in that does not meet those standards. I think that there was some overreaction to this, and, and it wasn't based on good
3: judgment. Yeah, what these suits uh, are alleging, yeah. uh, Henry, is that the um, uh, the oversight agency at yeah, the state, Eagle, yeah. Um, yeah. has not held them to the standards that already exist. Uh,
1: that's a oh. big question.
3: Yeah.
5: And, if, and on those grounds, they, they may happening. have some success. I mean, if, if there are standards there are ready and they have not been following those, there you might find some success, as, as Bobby suggested. Maybe it'll be a half a victory.
1: Yeah, if, if Eagle has not uh, done their job and there's sidestepping stepping rules and regulations that apply to these areas, then the people have a good case. But they've got to prove that case, so bring it out on a public forum and prove that this can happen without degradation of the air quality around Genesee County.
2: But don't you think that's one of the biggest questions that we have today is uh, the regulatory agencies either are understaffed, underfunded, or underinspired? And as in the case of the Flint water crisis, so many times they drop the ball when it comes to actually uh, providing strong oversight on these things and sort of let things slip by.
5: Well, you know, yeah. the, the, the real question with with regulation is uh, at what point do the regulatory agencies become the subject to the very very corporations they try and regulate? You know, right. uh, you start off with the idea of you're going to regulate, <coughs> regulate corporations, but then gradually the powers that be, in effect, take them over, and all of a sudden they aren't, they aren't really quite such a hardball operation anymore.
1: But right. I would or- submit to you that the reason General Motors left Genesee right. County... Or it's you have it to the regulatory authority, and they drove them out. Uh, or you have lobbyists. On, go ahead.
2: Lobbyists that bring about legislation that actually protect. I know. Well, most people aren't aware that the state of Michigan has legislation that protects from any environmental um, law change. Uh, the transportation exploration and uh, refining of any petroleum products. So when you get into the pipelines and the kinds of things that we became upset about or fracking, there is a state law that says, no, you can't bring environmental uh, laws into that because it's transporting petroleum products. Mm. That's It's something that's little known. But legislation through the lobbyist's influence sometimes brings that about very lax oversight.
1: And, yeah, I yeah, know, and I believe that the people who work for the Regulatory authority I wonder. They will do nothing to hurt the people of the state because they have to the trust at that authority, except that sometimes, like in a water crisis, uh, people did not do the jobs.
3: Well, yeah, we have to talk about the difference between the way it should be and the way it actually yeah. turns out to be. Right. And I, it, something just occurred to me, and I, I don't know if somebody will play this card or not, or if it's just too outside the box. But um, an awful lot of petroleum products go into the manufacture of asphalt, and yep. I, yeah. I wonder if they wouldn't um, wouldn't loophole an operation of its type under those existing uh, laws.
2: Yep, and it could very well happen. I know I attended a a thing in uh, East Lansing over the fracking question several years ago right here in our county, and when I raised the question on why the uh, chemicals that are being used in the fracking operation are covered by the Resource Conservation and Recovery Act that traces cradle-to-grave any toxic or hazardous materials, I was told that the chemicals that are being used are not defined as ta- toxic or hazardous. And then, of course, the loophole there is they are not required to reveal what they are. Therefore, they <laughs> cannot be defined. Uh, yes.
3: Yeah, <laughs> because, so it, because they consider the the chemical balance they use company to company, as uh, Corporate, proprietary... Cor- cor- Corporate
5: uh, secrets,
2: yeah, yeah.
3: proprietary information.
2: Yeah. Right. So there you that, have that a that law is, to protect us, and it doesn't
1: protect us. Yeah, but that is not my version of what Re- RECRUS has, the Resource Recovery Act, and the public's right to know. You you, you must reveal uh, what the um, discharge of uh, stats and stuff like that as it moves up the stack and, and diluted and dispersed so that it becomes part of the, the available air quality, and that quality is tested periodically and the reports are sent to the state. I, I, I just don't see uh, how we can condemn this without some kind of evidence brought to a public forum where you have debates of people who are authorities in this matter,
3: well, here's here's another that story that
1: here.
3: I, I want to try and squeeze in before we get to uh, break, but, but it also um, raises a, a state law question that I have. Former Flint Community School Superintendent Anita Stewart is allowed to sue individual members of the district's Board of Education, but not the district as a whole, per a ruling from Genesee County Court Judge Brian S. Piquel. Original language in Steward's contract regarding an arbitration clause protected the district from litigation, Pakel ruled Tuesday, uh, but since the individuals are not parties of Steward's contract with the district, they can be sued. Isn't there a state law that protects individuals serving on boards and committees, or is that just for members of nonprofit organizations?
5: No, I thought thought that was true for for all kinds of elected boards. Yeah,
3: all kinds of organizations.
1: They're called disclaimers, guys. They're called disclaimers. They're working in service for the people.
3: It seems funny that Judge Pickell would rule in that way if that's the case. Because if you didn't
5: have that, I mean, it would be very risky for any individual to, do, to, yeah. to serve on those boards if you could be sued because the city of Flint made a mistake or the school board or, you know, many, many other boards and commissions around the, uh, around the state. Or well, you're
1: acting on behalf of your public.
2: That's, you can, isn't that the uh, reason that a lot yeah. of boards have insurance to protect the individual board members? So that if there is some kind of a lawsuit that they're, they're covered, they, they don't have to individually stand to lose a lot of their assets. I think the whole question is, would the judge independently come up with that um, information regarding what Tom said, that there is a state law that protects, uh, unless it was presented to him in
1: argument? Yeah. Yeah, those are disclaimers by each. Um, board, public boards, public boards, all public boards,
5: they have to have those. Yeah, I, I thought that was uh, again, a, a long-standing state law that went back for many, many, many years. Well, at
3: now. least at least 25, <clears throat> maybe 30 years back, Paul.
5: Yeah. Sure.
3: And but But <laughs> all of a sudden, when I read that ruling, because it seemed so ignorant of that law, that perhaps that law doesn't apply to governmental boards or um, quasi-governmental boards.
5: Hmm.
3: But that wasn't my understanding. That's why I brought yeah, it I, that's up exactly as, true. as a I question. Thought, I
5: thought particularly governmental boards were, were were covered in large part because, as I say, if, if you're elected to a city council and you could be subject to, to a lawsuit because the police misbehaved or the water backed up in your basement— uh, you might be very reluctant to decide to run for those kind of things, yeah well, you
2: would I think the question also the question arises um, if the individuals then are held uh liable or that they could be held liable are uh, uh is the school district going to provide them with attorneys or lawyer
5: uh fees uh yeah good 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 point, yeah.
3: Good, well, very, I very thought messy. I thought maybe it was very specifically for nonprofit organizations cuz that's the world I come from and um you know, I remember when I was working in nonprofit organizations that um yes, Bobby, they do carry some liability insurance to cover board members for a variety of things, but the real fallback was on that state law mm. that protected uh members for, you know, doing uh, community service by sitting on boards and so on.
2: Right. So I'm going to yeah. do
3: my community service and uh let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in <laughs> right now <laughs> or or do whatever they do when when uh when I go to break um they are uh W F O V L P FM Flint. Uh, Our Voices Radio is a uh, broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. And if you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. More armchair politics straight ahead. Hello there citizens,
6: Darkwing Duck here and every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program don't forget, stay dangerous Darkwing Duck out
0: East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations and advertisers East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues and people that make Flint Flint Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community focused and community supported.
7: Imagine a
1: journey down a picturesque river. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490.
7: major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila!
6: From the Tom Show.
4: This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
3: Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Henry Hatter and Paul Rosicki, joined by Bobby Clayton Walton. A school bus leaving from Southwestern Classical Academy became partially submerged in a (laughs) 10- to 12-foot sinkhole just before 3 p.m. last Friday in the area of 12th Street and Fenton Road in Flint, the back driver's side tire went into a sinkhole with an unknown number of children on the bus, according to Michigan State Police. M. Live, the Flint Journal, reached out to Flint Community Schools about the incident, but the district has not yet responded to a request for comment. Um, what is it going to take for talk about roads and infrastructure to turn into (laughs) real action with results. (laughs) Yeah, but I I I saw that.
5: I almost thought that was going to be one of your X-Files stories when I saw that. Yeah, I saw it it, (laughs) it there.
3: Well, that's why I always (laughs) say sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between (laughs) actual headlines and the X-Files. But this is something that we've been talking about for years infrastructure and in particular michigan roads and when you've got a school bus driving into a sinkhole how much more evidence do you need that repairs are necessary
5: yeah i mean there's, there's no yeah. doubt about it I, I i've forgotten the exact percentage but i saw a story about what fraction of michigan bridges are considered in poor uh, or dangerous condition and that was a surprising fraction i it may have approached a majority. I mean, Bobby, you may have seen those numbers too, but it was, it was surprising. Yeah. The uh,
2: the whole thing about roads and bridges has been in process for years and years and years, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. I think one of the things that happens, and it's not just in Michigan, but you have a patchwork of overlapping jurisdictions over the roads, you've got, you know, the road commission, and you've got state roads, and you've got U.S. highways, and, you know, who's responsible, and where does the money come from, and who does it pass through, and who is it awarded to, and where are contracts being bid? It's such a, it's such a complex network of administrative actions that you just sit back and think, well, no wonder nothing gets done, because it takes forever to get there. I don't always agree with Donald Trump. In fact, I hardly ever agreed with Donald Trump. <laughs> But he did say, and he wasn't too far off the mark, that it took too darn long to get some of these things taken care of, and he's not wrong, yeah,
3: no, he's and not yeah. wrong, and i keep and I keep wondering, you know when you talk about how difficult it is, of course, I remember that you know that that quote from George W. Bush, being president is hard um <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that nobody told me about this job, yeah, but but, but I keep <clears throat> thinking, you know. When you talk about overlapping jurisdictions and all the money involved and, you know, rights of way and all of these things and how complicated it is, somebody weighed through it enough to get these things built. And all we have to do is keep the stuff repaired and we're not doing it because, as George W. Bush said, it's too hard it's hard. Yeah. yeah. No, you make a, You make a good
5: point, Tom. I mean, politically, it's it's much more rewarding to build a new thing, the new highway, a new bridge, a new this or new that, and you know you'll get more more public support by by, by initiating a new project than you will by coming back and fixing the stuff that's been there for 50 years. Um, it just it just, it seems too routine. It's well, not, then find
3: all the broken roads and bridges, tear them down and build a new one. Put yeah, your name yeah. on it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not that easy, guys. The way that the federal dollars go, it protects public highways first—major highways, continental highways. the The first slice of money comes off and protects that. Then it covers secondary roads, and then uh, tertiary roads, the country roads. Like where I live, sinkholes could be on my road. Nobody cares, and so well, we have to wait for those services to get to us. But that's how it, and there's not enough money in the city to do all the things that people demand be done. And uh, a fifth Greater knows that. But this is well, hard. I think like when George you go this back, said, this is hard.
2: It's true, but when you go back, Henry, to what we just talked about or you guys talked about, Sometimes I listen to you and I yell back at the radio. Um, <laughs> well, you are.
1: Thank you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you can't hear me from here. Um, but the thing is that um, the, the whole issue of how do we get this done and when do we get this done and who's going to get it done and all this other stuff and. We talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, but we're impacting on the economy. And I have to go back to the economy every time because that's what keeps us going forward in a fairly progressive, wealth-building way. And if we don't have good roads and we don't have good bridges and we don't have safety, people don't want to live here. Yeah,
1: that used to be the case when General Motors was here. We were prime targets for money. We had all kinds of money, and we kept our roads up. And bridges. But we yeah, because you're that. building cars, and cars need roads.
2: But the one thing that, yeah. that Texas did, because they're a petroleum industry state, and Michigan did because they're an automobile state, is you neglected public transit. So public transit, which would really take a lot of the burden off of the roads, is also non-existent to, uh, well, weak. We don't have a good, strong public transit system. You can't get from Detroit yeah. to Saginaw through a public transit. You can't.
1: Yes, but we also neglected the infrastructure, like the cause of the problem that we have right now, in the emergency problems. Yeah. Yeah. We did the same thing. Somebody has to be accountable for that, and we, we all run from it. Yeah, but,
2: the accountability is spread out so thin you can't find who to make accountable.
1: That's because we don't have the resources to do all the things that people want done. That's
2: well, what,
3: you know, what you I call economics. I, Michigan gets gets slammed a lot for neglecting public transit, but where's, you know, what kind of shape is public transit in in uh, Wyoming or Montana or Iowa or Oklahoma? I you know, it's 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 not just Texas and Michigan um no. that that's ignoring this this notion of um public transportation and needing the roads less.
5: Right. Well, uh, well I mean, weren't, weren't the, the corporate interests, of, I'm thinking of General Motors and maybe the oil companies as well, didn't they go out of their way to really destroy public transportation back in the 30s and 40s? They, we used to have uh, trolley cars here in Flint at one point. Those were all torn up because it was much more advantageous to sell cars. Right.
2: And I remember when I was writing a newsletter on truck safety, there was always this big battle between the railroads and the trucking industry. Because oh, yeah. they, each went, they each wanted that container that
1: came off the ship, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you guys, you can't, that's a generational thing. It's what people wanted at that time. They said, let us have cars so we can be individualized. Uh, and go where we want to, and see America, and <laughs> see the USA, and your America. Chevrolet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but now the new generation says we're so populated, we can't We have no places to park the cars if we go down to big cities. So they devised that. That was a response to what people said at that time that they wanted and needed. So this thing is always going to be mobile. The next ten years, we may there's something else who
2: knows <laughs> it'll always be something else henry yeah. <laughs> <That's the
1: truth. laughs> yeah and we can't condemn the people up, up 10 years ago because that's what they're doing it 20 years
2: well ago. you can't really condemn people at all it's just a matter of uh, leadership actually having the vision and actually having the guts to stand and say, this is what we need to do, and this is what I'm going to do. Because the way we elect people to office, they become absolute cowards.
5: Particularly when you've got term limits and there's no long-term vision. You know you're you're going to be out in in six or eight years, and you're worried only about the next election and and where you go to your next job. And And
1: where do you get the information?
5: You need to make your decisions.
1: And I agree with you guys. I'm all on the... Um, on the same trail as you are, but I'm the devil's advocate, and I protect generation after generation their right to make these choices at the times. Well, we better give them a good basis to make those choices from.
3: (laughs) Well, I I was trying to remember, was it... um, Paul, maybe you remember. There was a time years ago when we used to take listener call-ins. Uh, right. On a regular basis on the show, and um, it was it Bob from Grand Blanc or, or B.J. Walker that was always talking about sunset clauses that all laws oh, have, should oh, yeah. have should have yeah. sunset clauses. Why yeah. couldn't we develop something not not a sunset clause but but you know a, a, a universal approach that you don't build new stuff until you repair the old stuff. That would yeah. be a waste of money. And, and, and but
2: you know what that you know what that calls for, Tom? That calls for a government to have the ability, a really good ability, to do cost benefit analysis of every decision that's made. And we don't do that. They look at they look at their bean counters See, as I, opposed and, to analysts.
3: And and you're right, Bobby, and I'm especially concerned with all of this money coming from the federal government for Covid relief and and eventually some sort of version of Build Back Better, but we've had several Covid relief packages, and if they don't spend that money on long-lasting projects, you know we're we're going to get hosed because that's all. It's one-time money anyway. We've got to be take, going very quickly. We've got to take a break here for our top of the hour ID, and we'll be back with the second half. Of armchair politics coming up in just uh, a couple of minutes, and and that will uh, and will continue to feature uh, Bobby Clayton Walton joining our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter on today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner program. So, stay tuned for the second half.
5: <clears throat> Hi, I'm Alexander Zonjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.
6: On we the other side We're out in For a bumpy ride phone so tight, and I whisper you a goodnight kiss, I'll see you on the other side, when I crawl out of my cage, when the world is purified, I will find you and I promise this, I'll see you on the other side. on the other side